religion, politics, philosophy, and science. You will be challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to be. Hi, people. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I I also am people, and I am doing well. My people are here. JJ and Will are back. Will, you wanted to talk about moral failings of people that we look up to, celebrities and and whatnot, right? Yes. Um, Kind of a something that's really broken my heart that's uh, surprisingly not pandemic related at all uh, over the last year and a half has been the complete and utter downfall of a gentleman named Ravi Zacharias. And <clears throat> Ravi has always been something of a hero of mine. He, um, he was, he, he, he died. Uh, I, I can look up the, the date if, if you want me to, but it was some, some point early last year. I remember cause I just saw a few weeks ago on my, my, I don't know if you guys do that where you check your Facebook and see what you wrote in the previous years on that day. Yeah. I don't check, but it pops up on occasion and I hate it. Oh, I love it. It, It's, it's one of the first things I do in the morning. Uh, but I noticed that I, I had, uh, talked about Ravi and, and waxed eloquent about how, how great of an inspiration he was for me. And that was just like 14 months ago. Um, but he, he had, he died, like I said, about 14, 15 months ago. Um, before that, about two years ago, maybe three years ago, there was an accusation that came out against him. Oh, actually, um, let, let me just explain a little bit more who Ravi is. Ravi Zacharias was a, um, a Christian who was born and raised in India. And then he, uh, as a young man did a, an incredible speaking tour through Vietnam and Cambodia during the late stages of the Vietnam war. Um, the, uh, he, he was, uh, ordained as a missionary for the Christian and missionary Alliance. He, uh, moved to, uh, first Toronto and then Atlanta where he established Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, he, for a long time has been considered the premier name in Christian apologetics. Um, and all of that being a person of color, um, was why I, I really, loved and respected him. I thought he was about the best face we could have for, um, for the kind of the intellectual side of Christianity. About three years ago, two or three years ago, uh, there was an accusation that came out and it, uh, most of us who were fans of Ravi, um, we took it seriously, but you know, your knee jerk reaction is, Oh, there's gotta be something going on. I mean, uh, it's it's got to be a lie or a misunderstanding or something. The accusation was that Ravi had been sexting a uh, a person who he had been ministering to a a, a woman, not a very young woman, uh, probably about our age, um, maybe a little older, but quite a bit younger than him. He was in his seventies, I think. Um, he had been sexting a married woman and lying about it, and uh, 
And, and as part of her counseling and healing, she needed to explain to her pastor, her husband, uh, some other people uh, that, that, that needed to know what happened. So the word got out. The word got out about what Ravi had been doing. And of course, um, Ravi and, and his ministry instantly treated it as false accusations, trying to tear down a wonderful godly man, and we all bought it, hook, line, and sinker. So fast forward to last year when, when Ravi Zacharias dies, he had, at the moment of his death, was still probably one of the most respected Christian uh, names in, in, in public uh, popular Christianity there was. And then the Julie Roy's report came out. Julie Roy's, I do, I'm not entirely familiar with her work, but from what I can gather, she is like a, a uh, an investigative journalist. And she uh, specializes exclusively on issues dealing with the church. She looked into the accusations, and they were entirely credible. And since then, uh, there have been a couple of, of uh, independent investigations, including one by RZIM, the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And even they've come out and said that it's entirely credible. RZIM has completely distanced themselves from Ravi. Um, they're going to change the name. Several of the international branches in, 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 in uh, certain countries, none of them come to mind right now, but some of those branches have just completely shut down, completely liquidated their assets. Um, and the, the entire ministry that Ravi built came crashing down. And it was, from my perspective, it was incredibly sad, not the least of which because I always took pride in the fact that um, I always took pride in the fact that the leading Christian apologist was a person of color, not just some, just not just another white guy. And I always love that. And so it breaks my heart even more that, that um, his, his, that everything came crashing down like it did. Yeah. I've got a story like that from when I was a Christian. What kind of, and this might be kind of a weird take on that, but kind of what breaks my heart about that, because I'm, I know who Ravi is. I've, uh, having come from you know the uh, evangelical mm-hmm. world, I'm aware of him. But actually, kind of what breaks my heart about that story now is that he had a desire that he didn't have an outlet to meet within his moral system. I mean, I've sexted with people. It's fun. Um, I flirted with people. That's a lot of fun, but that's not any kind of a contradiction, you know, internally in, in my life that I'm not allowed to do that. And I'm doing it anyway. I, I, I am totally within, you know, bounds to be able to do that. And I know that that can be a lot of fun and, and just a, a, an interesting way to interact with people. And in that world, you really can't. Um, because that violates a lot of Christian ethics. Um, so maybe it's because I just don't hold those same ethical standards. But, um, I mean, obviously he wanted to do something and didn't have an outlet, so he did it anyway. Um, I think that, like, that's an interesting, of course, you know, observation, because I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I don't think that there was... It, it it's not the behavior of Ravi that 
that in and of itself that troubles me. It's the the co- uh, like cognitive dissonance right. that he the must have been experiencing. Done. And and I'm I I actually want to set aside whether or not I agree with his behavior being right or wrong, because I think that if we instead instead of pointing out what Robbie did, we just substitute in our our hero that we have looked up to, especially like our moral leader, you know, committed behavior X, which we consider a moral atrocity. Like, how do we handle... That way we can actually... Because I feel like that's kind of the meat that Will wanted to get to. And I think that that in and of itself is a very interesting and important question. You know, what do we do about about that question? When we just frame it in that just kind of like abstract form. Like, it's sort of like... uh, um, Like when I really enjoy the comedy of Louis C.K. But he had his big moral failing... For and that matter, have you have you listened to some of um, of Bill Cosby's older work? I think himself is one of the greatest stand up routines ever performed. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and Bill Cosby and, and is that- a great example of this because Bill Cosby, <laughs> his comedy wasn't just funny, but his comedy appealed to a certain moral standard that he wanted yeah. to present. And interesting, I, I mean, I wasn't, I hadn't thought of this because I'd never thought of these in the same category before, but Bill Cosby kind of did something similar to what Ravi did. Bill Cosby took black comedy and made it in a way without diminishing. Well, later he kind of did when, when he told, you know, uh, young black men to pull their pants up and stuff like that. He, he kind of racialized it later, but he took black comedy and did it in a way that everybody enjoyed it. And he opened so many doors. I'm not saying that there never would have been a Chris Rock or an Eddie Murphy or, or those guys. I think guys they rely that. way more on Richard Pryor than Bill Cosby. That is that I is think, true. That is I, true. What but, I think Bill Cosby did do was was, I man, I don't know because now I'm stepping into water that I think I'm unqualified to step into. Yeah, I'm not an expert on this stuff either. And, and it's like I'm 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 hesitant to make proclamations on how his art impacted race relations. Like that, like that's a really difficult topic that requires a lot of finesse. And I don't think I have the expertise to, to dance around it. I just know that Bill Cosby was the first black comedian that I ever saw. Yeah, me too. And I did you know, the, the routine where he's pretending to be in a dentist chair. <laughs> yeah. And I did this routine in high school for um, humorous interpretation um, in the Forensics League. Mm-hmm. And what Bill Cosby did to those women was atrocious. Yeah. Yes. That, and, 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 and I think we all agree ar- with that one. Yeah, let's wrap around it and apply that to the story we opened with. Yeah. The funny the, – the, it's, it's different with Ravi because I think you guys are right that – the what seems to be at the heart of it, although the the Roy's report does imply that there's perhaps other issues with uh, uh, marital infidelity and some other things that once again is 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 more of an issue with Christians. For me, the really big issue was how he 
and a lot of other people who I highly respect who are part of RZIM um, went after the victim and, mm. and, and really kind of did a full court press of public relations, and it was all a lie. And that poor woman, I don't have her name available, and, and even if I did have it available, I don't think I really want to want to mention. I don't want to drag this woman through the mud again. Um, but this woman was was dragged through the mud and treated like a liar, and she was not a liar. She told right. the truth. She she was the most honest person involved with this uh, tragedy, uh, and and she was treated like a villain who was trying to destroy the great Ravi Zacharias. And to me, that's the worst part of the story. Exactly. That, the fact that, I mean, that's very reprehensible, um, throwing a victim under the bus like that. That's, that part, I, I really don't have a lot of sympathy mm-hmm. for. I, I get that, you know, he's in a position where he basically does lose a lot by being honest, but by lying, he compromises any integrity. So there is a no-win situation there, but I... I would personally, as you know, someone outside of religion, I would respect him a lot more for owning up to it. You know, I think I would have forgiven him, but I think you're right. I think I think that would have been the end of his ministry if, in 2017, when the when the accusation first came out, if he would have said, um, "Guys, this woman's telling the truth. I tried to keep it a secret. I'm so sorry. I need to work on my marriage with my wife. I would still like this ministry to work uh, well." but I need to work on me for a little while. I think it'd been the end of his ministry. I personally probably would have forgiven him. It, the, it would be better. Our society hasn't done a very good job of normalizing restorative justice. Right. And I think that if we did that as a society, we'd see a lot more behaviors like what you're talking about with Ravi. Because it's a lot of work to make things right when you've done things wrong to a person. You know, I've well, done I'm- it. I've wronged people. Mm-hmm. And I've had to work very hard to make things right. And in some ways, I have to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, Same. on a tangent, I mean, it's related in my brain, but we'll see if it, it's, it's really related as I say it out loud. Um, all the statues that are getting torn down, most of them for really good reasons. I mean, there's no reason why we need um, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest statue anywhere <laughs> on this planet. Um, but – one of the statues that they were trying to tear down was Benjamin Franklin. And the reason was because he had owned slaves. And I, I'd read, I've, I've read a couple of biographies on Benjamin Franklin. I think that is accurate. Early in his adult life, I believe he was uh, a slave owner. But I think the fact Thomas that he Jefferson is, is, certainly was. <laughs> Jefferson absolutely mm-hmm. was. But Benjamin Franklin ended his career as one of the leading abolitionists in this country. Yeah. Uh, to, to, with w- what JJ had just said, is there not a place for taking that into account? Or uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Abraham Lincoln gave a speech um, uh, during the Lincoln-Douglas debates where he said, I by no means am denying the supremacy of the white race. But can we take – can we not forget that line, which was ab- abhorrent, but also keep in mind that, that he did uh, – so much for race relations, not the least of which uh, 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 leading the charge to end slavery, or LBJ, who who we can uh, do- easily document a, a an, an entire lifetime of racism. But when 
power finally came into his hands and he was able to do something about it, he actually, I'm not aware of any time when he had the power as president that he did anything um, that we would consider classically racist. In fact, he did the opposite. He pushed the civil rights bill um, and and, and actually pushed it through an an incredibly resistant Congress. Uh, Still, in my opinion, one of the greatest legislative achievements by any president throughout our our country's history. There were a lot of people that didn't want to give black people civil rights, that's for sure. Well, and and I guess what I'm trying to say is, is there a place for us to say, yes, LBJ was a racist who on frequent, uh, at frequent times said abhorrent things directly to black people, directly to their face. So let's not forget that. And at the same time, let's take into account this other stuff he did. I mean, well, we, I, I think I, I think what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to back up what you said a second ago. We need we need to really recapture the idea of restorative justice and that that past uh, ills, past sins, to use a Christian word, uh, they can be overcome. They can be worked through. You uh, can be restored. Although, you know, when in a historical context like that, um, I think what's important is, you know, why we're celebrating a person. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're celebrating a person who, and if we're celebrating a person for things that we now socially disagree with, you know, certain, certain parts of society might, you know, be celebrating a person in history for things that are racist. And absolutely, you know, that, that should be, um, something that I don't, I don't have a problem with people tearing down those statues. Um, but like you said, you can take that too far and go out of context with people who, you know, maybe started off with some really bad, um, acts and views and then changed later. And if we're celebrating that, um, I think that's actually to tear down those statues. It kind of ignores the entire context of, of the history there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, Statues are meant for memorializing something. Right. And you get in the pickle when, like, if you're in Culture A and a statue is memorializing, you know, item one, and in two generations, now you're in Culture C, and the statue is memorializing item three to that culture. Right. That's true. Um, we might be we might be giving too much credit to um, the people who made the statues, though, because almost none of these statues were made during the immediate no. wake of the Civil War. That's almost correct. All of them were made in the 1920s and 30s during a time when the civil rights movement was just beginning to get its feet. Wasn't that the and second revival of the Ku Klux Klan? Yeah, the second revival of the KKK would have been in the probably the late teens, probably coming right out of um, World War One. Anybody who uh, has a good Wikipedia page can feel free to fact check me on that. Yeah, one. yeah, right about but, that same time. But those statues were meant to celebrate white power. A oh, lot yeah. of them. Now, I don't want to get hung up here. Yeah, and not not to say hung up, but I think uh, I <laughs> That's think. A big topic. <laughs> like like we can Throw easily this there are myriad moral questions associated with what we're talking about when we're talking about retribution and redemption and uh 
when which is appropriate. Like um, you when you you know when I found out that this was going to be the topic this evening, I remembered a, a story about a guy named Jay Preston. Will, do you know who Jay Preston is? That name is very it, 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 like like I recognize it, but I, I I'm going to have to be honest. I, I don't know. Very active pastor in the Nazarene Church. I have no idea who that is. And ran my father's house in Paola, Kansas, Miami County. That's why I don't know who that is. And it was a uh, it was a like a rehabilitation house for people who are homeless. Hmm. And he ran it for I want to say a couple decades before he was arrested for lewd contact with a minor. Hmm. Which there were, he was, uh, he pled guilty to two instances of lewd contact with a minor, a minor with the intent to elicit a sexual response. Um, which in the state of Kansas, each sentence is a 25 year to life sentence. Uh, the judge made an exception and he ended up getting 13 years, like seven and it was seven and a half for each instead of 25. Um, because he owned his mistakes and like the, you know you can look it up online and and see what and whether or not you agree or disagree with you know whether the judge should have given the full penalty or not i think the society handles sex crimes across the board entirely wrong um, well, it's yeah it's to be fair it's not just our society as well i mean we um while you were talking i looked up there was another name that came um um, to mind when you were talking, there's a, a theologian uh, who died recently named J uh, Jean Vanier. He was uh, a French Canadian. Name. He had a ministry oh. called, uh, L it's spelled L A R C H, but in uh, the pronunciation, it's like Lache. Um, he he was he was probably in in the circles of of. Uh, of people in in restorative ministry, his his uh, ministry was probably even highly regarded, uh, even more highly regarded than Ravi's, even though Ravi was more well known. And it came out that that um, that after he died, it it uh, let's see, uh, manipulative and emotional abuse with sexual relationships of up to six different women between uh, 1970 and 2005, according to Losh International. And then, of course, um, you can't mention recent sexual um, uh, um, misconduct by Christians without bringing up Jerry Falwell Jr. and um, oh, uh, Liberty, Liberty University. Liberty <laughs> University. But here's the interesting thing: when the accusations came out about uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., I believed them instantly. They just it just I I don't well, know. I've always why. thought Jerry Falwell Jr. was a con man. Oh yeah, I, that's why I mean, he just—he always gave me that kind of uh, that kind of creepy impression that that Jean Vanier and Ravi Zacharias never did. Right. Same with like Jay Preston. Like Jay Preston helped dozens and dozens and dozens of people, and genuinely did it. And like I know people that know him. Um, I mean, that's the thing is people can be very multifaceted and they can right. they can do lots of very good things and simultaneously do lots of very bad things. Abusers can often be very charming and likable people. I mean, I've personally uh witnessed that. Yeah. 
I believe I, there might uh, even be a psychological connection that, that that might be a skill necessary for a successful career in abuse. And we might not want to reduce it to as though this is one mind. Right. Now, like, I often wonder, um, like, have you ever heard of uh, people that get uh, hemispherectomies? Are you familiar with that? Like when your two d- different sides of the brain aren't connected, right? Is that what you're talking about? With so you have yes. like two separate uh, personalities within the same right. person. Now it's not like those personalities. Like we don't know that those personalities suddenly appeared after the hemispherectomy. Maybe this True. person is actually duplicitous, just and those two person anymore. Right, and they, those two personalities have to interact on some subconscious level before that person actually behaves. Hmm. Now, this doesn't excuse any kind of behavior. Like, I don't have an interest in excusing any kind of behavior. No. Like, if there's harm, harm must be dealt with. We can understand it better, though. I mean, that's that's important if you're going to address it. Like, I was in a debate with... uh, um, I was arguing on Facebook, like I do, <laughs> and I was arguing with this guy from high, my high school, and he was like talking about how everybody that commits like a like an in uh, indiscretion against a child should just be killed. Mm, they should be tortured, and then they should be killed. And I said, "Well, what about this guy?" And I told him the story. I think Will, I think I've already told you this story, and I know Thomas has heard it. About the guy that was in Britain and had a brain tumor that made him be aggressively sexually compulsive. And uh, the guy I was talking to was like, well, yeah, it's totally not his fault, but you got to kill those people anyway. And, and, and the, similar to the, the um, abortion uh, argument we had uh, a couple weeks ago is – where do you draw the line? If a 19-year-old uh, has sex with a 17-year-old, technically, that was an adult having sex with a, a child, legally speaking. We're not going to kill that 19-year-old, though. I mean, are we? <laughs> Boy, I, I think that there are better ways to deal with it. Oh, certainly. And, well, and, and not only that. But, that's, a, that's a very different scenario, though, than someone right. who's 40 and oh, a but 6 they, yeah. year old but that's what I'm saying. But 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 you can you can draw you can draw a, a straight line between those. What if it's 39 and seven or 38 and eight? You well, know, that's it, at like what point does it become it, okay? It, and that's one of those things that it's it, like many things. There's not a black and white answer. It's it's more of a, a gradual progression towards less and less bad. How do you and, accommodate and also, that we, in the framework of the law? That's challenging. Uh, you do have to draw a line somewhere. I I know in some places, like, there's, like, a four-year rule where, you know, as long as you're within four years of each other, if one's a minor, it's not that big of a deal, or at least I believe and that. Then the a, and the then there's a minimum. Romeo and Juliet laws. Right. Yeah. And almost all of those Romeo and Juliet laws also include a clause where everyone under a certain age is off limits. Right. Um. And there are several states that have this progressive thing. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels, Legal Eagle, talked about it in mm-hmm. light of the Matt Gates scandal. Mm. 
I really that, hope he doesn't get away with this. I I think he's not going to. But man, <sighs> it's weird. And it's it's not new that people get away with this. No. I don't know why. I just have a bad feeling he's going to get away with it. I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it's just pessimism. I just... It's statistics. Statistically speaking, most people get away with it. You're right. And we're kind of conditioned that way, too. We see people get away with stuff all the time, especially if you're, you know, powerful or wealthy. Well, and he he already comes from a certain political persuasion, and not all conservatives per se, but a particular brand of conservatism that plays the victim perpetually. And so anytime any reasonable... Uh, persecute or what's a good word? Persecution that's not persecution, where you're punishment or uh, retribution. Retribution. Yeah, in, in any any retribution, you act like it's persecution, and all <laughs> oh, the the libs are coming to get me. The libs, it's it's you got to defend I, me. People on the left do it too. Yeah, it's very true. You know whether or not I agree with what Bill Clinton did, how Bill Clinton handled it, I consider unethical. Right. Um, I will say this, though. The difference between the way the Democrats handled, um, oh, what was the name of that, that comedian from Al Minnesota? Franken. What? Al Franken. I love yes. Al Franken. The way Democrats handled that situation compared with the way Republicans have handled uh, Matt Trump Gates. and Gates <laughs> is, is it just seems like completely different. And And people forget Al Franken was a political superstar for the Democrats at the time. He alone could have been the Democrats' number one fundraiser that that election cycle, combining his legislative record with his uh, uh, celebrity, celebrity that predated appeal. his, his uh, political career. And the Democrats just got rid of it because uh, what he did was creepy and wrong. Well, I, I kind of noticed a trend there. Like, JJ even said earlier before the show, um, he's a little different in that, you know, maybe he kind of expects celebrities to mess up and he doesn't maybe ex have, have hold them in such high regard. Um, I kind of noticed that generally on the left and outside of religion, we do over here tend to eat our own a lot quicker. And that, that can actually, you know, to our detriment, to the point that like, we're very gatekeepy on our mm. side and, and there's a lot of purity tests that, you know, people can't ever live up to because we have these standards and no one can ever uh, get out unscathed um, where the right will rally behind, you know, whoever and have a lot more political power. So I have noticed that trend and it, it I bet you, you do realize it is a trend though. If you go back yeah. to like um, what before the Southern strategy. So late 60s um amongst conservatives it was it was kind of this the, the opposite where you had to prove that you were you were pure enough of a libertarian in the mold of Barry Goldwater <sighs> and, and and I mean that was that you know and, and if you weren't they the the conservative side of the Republican Party was in the process of trying to drive all of the um oh what's a good example um Rockefellers out of the party wanting you know to just make them make them Democrats. I think that when Republicans look at their party, they're seeing the same problem as when like Democrats or at least people on the right look at their party with some concern. 
they see the same problem as people on the left and or at least the same reason to to feel concerned with that sense of like because there's a great deal of commitment in the republican party to trump still yeah and it's very very difficult to be an anti-trump republican Uh you like you there is a high political cost to pay and in the same vein like if we if we stop specifying what the object is and we replace the object with just like commitment to x is the peculiar criteria where x is an object that has no political utility but it is a political litmus test for acceptance into the group i it feels like they're almost the problem is balanced on both sides it's just the x is different i may be a little more uh, optimistic about uh, the whole Trump phenomenon. I think it might run out of steam. I think it will if you, too. If you look at at certain conservative names who people who who don't really have a lot to lose right now, particularly uh, Bill Crystal, David French, um, um, oh the guy the guy for Washington Post, um, George Will, they. Not only have they never been on the Trump train, but they're, they're they never they never joined at any point. But the people who've got who've got a lot to lose right now, I feel like I mean you got the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses who love Trump. Let's not worry about them right yeah. now. I think a lot of them feel like they're in in a World War One trench, and the first five or six heads that pop up are going to get shot. Mm-hmm. But once the once the once once the 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 charge begins and once it it's it's going then it's going to go full steam ahead and i think i think there will come a point where trump's irrelevance in just a flash it, it it'll go from once everybody realizes you know the, the the unspoken truth that that only a small handful of republicans actually ever really love trump to the point where and it might not be 2024 but certainly by 2028 Every person running for the Republican nomination is going to say some uh, something to the effect of, hey, I'm no Donald Trump. I just enjoy this policy. And they, another says, hey, I'm no Donald Trump. I just like this policy that he happened to like. That's going to – I think by 2028, that's going to be a common refrain amongst Republican presidential hopefuls. I mean if you look at – like Ted Cruz has got to hate Trump for all that he's done to him, but he just – Ox the line. I mean, he he knows what's what's at stake if he crosses him. So, uh, I I don't believe that he genuinely actually supports Trump, but he he does claim to. Lindsey you know, Graham's a little bit more of a of of a tricky because sometimes Lindsey does give me the impression that he does like Trump, but I think when he has time to calm down and 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 use his mind, which is not uh, insignificant, he is one of the one of the the, the intelligent people in the party. I think. I think um, you made the right. His tweet it was practically prophetic in 2016. Oh, yeah, the early <laughs> ones. Yes. If, yeah. if we nominate Donald Trump to be our president, the Republican Party will get destroyed, and we will deserve it. Yep. Yeah, he just wasn't right about November of that year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think though, like I want, kind of want to, you know, steer it back a little bit to talking about our moral heroes because a lot of these moral failings are the same kind of failings and we have had this like this ostracization is not new you did it we can go back through history and find where moral leaders fail and where it's gone public 
and where much ink has been spilled. Mm. I think that we we would be better off if we found ways to improve the system in which these issues grow. Elaborate. I like what like I don't think that there is like with Ravi I think the system is set up so that the punishment becomes so intolerable that denial becomes an acceptable alternative to accepting, you know, responsibility. Risk-wise, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I um, think, and I'm not advocating, like, when people do bad things, they shouldn't be punished. But I think that we need to spend time investing in discovering ways where when we punish people, people are interested in participating in that punishment. Like, Because the way we do things now, the business as usual is not interested If we in made that. an analogy with relationships, um, I know in a lot of relationships, mm -hmm. like if – you know, a guy so much as even looks at another girl, you know, he can get in trouble for that. Um, forget pornography. You know, there's there's all these things that can be like really high risk. He's, he's going to get in a lot of trouble. In my relationship, it's fine if you want to flirt with somebody. That's totally okay. So the consequence of that is that there is absolutely no reason to lie about it. I know about everything that happens because, you know, that's there's no risk. And people will act according to, you know, kind of what's in their best interest. So when there's when there's an incredibly high risk, like you're risking losing um, a relationship, you're never going to admit to something because you don't want to lose that relationship if that's what the price is. Well, I don't uh, think if, that's analogous, although I agree. I think it's, I think it's beside the concern. A, a better analogy would be, say someone killed someone in cold blood. And there is not enough, like, there is not enough evidence to convict this person. This person will go free because of the state of justice of our system. Our system would be better off incentivizing that person, admitting to their crime, and offering them a solution to restore some sense of justice. That would that be crime. a little tricky with murder. It, that's why I went to that case. Because yeah. I think that if we can set that bar way, way far out there, we can find other bars that are easier. Be, and just, just speaking as a Christian, I would like to see more, more talk like this. Um, there... Take take an example like um, Jim Baker from from the eighties with his downfall. Yeah. If there had been a more systematic way to rehabilitate him, to bring him back into the fold, his history, the way things actually worked out, might not have been as slipshod, and his current ministry might have more value than it does. Another keen advantage is if someone has a habitual behavior pattern 
if you don't offer if you only offer them retribution and no restoration, they're more likely to just never admit to the problem. True. And that and that does go for like some of the most heinous crimes. You might eventually catch them and put them in jail. But, you know, it's like the kind of thing that hurt people, hurt others, and, and you know, the cycle of abuse continues. Well, our that system doesn't actually fix the problem either. Right. They're our system doesn't do a good job breaking cycles. Yeah. I think a really good test case for that could be Louis C.K. Because my, my uh, understanding of his situation, which you guys might know more, I don't think his situation extended to any actual sexual assault. It was uh, public uh, masturbation, correct? And 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 the assault, I suppose, would be that he he did it in front of uh, women who did not want to see him do it. He used his position right. He used his power to force women into unacceptable situations. But not like not like Weinstein, where Weinstein needs to be in prison for the rest of his natural life. The difference is one of degree. Okay, and I but, don't know that I agree yeah. with you there. Well, yeah, I, don't. I mean, we we don't need to we don't need to necessarily. But I guess my point there is that because of the degree issue, I think Louis C.K. could be a, a a good test case in if we had a system where he could actually show contrition publicly, be able to to show, you know, uh, here are act steps I've, I've taken to make things right, to, um, um, provide some form of justice for those who I've wronged and then let him ease back into his career as a successful comedian. Yeah. Like, uh, for all the the pains that Sam Harris causes me anymore these days, <laughs> he does have a great when he's talking about this idea of of restoration. He gives the example like, say you had a drug, and if everybody takes this drug, they won't commit any more crimes. Now, so everybody that's not in prison takes this drug, and when the people in prison take this drug, they also wouldn't commit crimes, right? It restores everyone. Is there any reason to not give them that drug and rather just leave them in prison? Hmm. That's an interesting concept. I mean, it, like, it comes back to to uh, the different. Or, sorry, I'm going to get closer to my microphone. It, uh, the um, <clears throat> at at a certain point in history, we changed the name of jails from. Um, penitentiaries to correctional facilities and under the correctional facility uh, uh, concept as soon as the person takes the drug no matter how much they've done they should be allowed to to be free like uh, if, so or is prison is jail just purely a punishment a retribution uh, it, or it, is it, there some kind of combination it, it poses the question like is there any in and of itself is there any merit to retribution there may be utility because of the world we live in. Like we may, because of the world we live in, there may be some degree of crime prevention that occurs elsewhere because of the punishment factor. Right? Hmm. So, so that's fine. Like that makes sense. Like, you know, if, 
you know, if you end up getting in a bar fight, you, you're going to spend another year in jail because this is the third one you've had. And then somebody else is like, I can't get in a fight with that guy. I'll go to jail. Like that prevented a crime. Prevention is a, is a useful rationale for punishment. But in my thought, in the thought experiment that Sam Harrison, uh, that I just gave you all, there's no need to prevent any future crime because everybody in society has already had the anti-crime drug. Should those people in jail, and let's say they got put in jail yesterday for some heinous crime, should they have to stay in jail? If nobody else ever is going to commit a crime, like the prevention factor is taken out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, what a... Is there a moral argument for keeping them in jail and withholding that drug from them? Like, what is the point of retribution? Or, um, what is the, of, uh, like, by itself, is there any moral defense to retribution? And and I can't see that there is one. Right, because our goal is always to make someone regret what they did and be sorry for it and change. Or to make other people not do the crime because they saw the punishment of someone else. Right. I, I feel like there is an extremely good theological answer that I am not qualified or prepared enough to give right now. But my knee-jerk reaction is I think you guys are, are on to something. Like, like I just – like there – I can imagine some theological responses in the sense that God would want justice or something. Like, you know, there – there could be some apology, I imagine, but I would be very unsatisfied with it for that reason. Like, now, at mean, that point, you're only doing that to that person just to hurt them because somebody else got hurt. And all that does is make more hurt. Well, let's go ahead and take it to its natural, po- po- its its worst possible example, just just to flesh it out. And, you know, these conversations always have to come around to Hitler, so let's go there. Yeah. Um, so let's say Hitler did not what? commit suicide in, in a bunker with uh, his, his wife, but they were both captured and they determined she didn't do much. So she went to prison for a couple of years and was let, set free. But what do you do with Hitler? I mean, does, of, of all humans who've ever lived, does, does Hitler at least deserve punishment? Now, or if Hitler took that drug, it's okay. Cause he won't kill 6 million more Jews from this point forward. Why? So, I mean, I don't think that that changes the logic. I don't think it does either. Although I understand like the heartbreak involved. I just have a hard time being like, we have X amount of pain in the universe and we've developed a cure for all of that pain in our thought experiment. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for me to say like, you know what we really need though? Because that person caused 20% of all the pain in the universe, we really need to make sure that they experience just 0.1% more pain, even though otherwise we're not going to have any more pain whatsoever. Like, that's what the argument, to me, ultimately boils down to, is that in any situation where... The pain is just being caused for the sake of more pain. Well, 
Like I, it's like I, somebody was like talking about fairness. Like it's fair if one person, you know, gouges out somebody's eye, so the other person gouges out their eye. Logically, kind of thing. it's fair, but I, I think emotionally, I think what people are after isn't just the hurt for the sake of the hurt, but I think they, at least in my experience, it seems like people want to hurt people who do bad things so that they can know the gravity of what it is that they're doing to other people. But so in this thought experiment, that doesn't matter. Right. I just think that's the, the, the reasoning behind why people would want that to happen. So and you know the best it. way for people to, that don't realize they're hurting other people to realize that they're hurting other people to have that sense of empathy is not punishment. It's therapy. Right. That's just not intuitive to a lot of people. It was. Well, it's because of their parents. That's because when <laughs> we do that, we do that to our kids. Yep. When we are not careful as parents, we teach our kids like, oh, you just hit your brother. Well, here, whap. Why don't you see what it feels like? Right. We we normalize the idea that making pain equitable is a worthwhile lesson. And that just seems like that just seems like something that is really unattractive to me. I don't know. Like there's a like I'm just, you know. I'm just a dude. There's probably I, I promise that books and books have been spilt, but man, I just can't imagine a world where people are like, you know what we need? More pain. Some people seem to think that way. Like the only thing I'm interested in is is that our society works together to identify why pain is happening and find pathways out of the mire. Even for those people that cause great deals of pain, the goal should be less pain. Sometimes punishment is a necessary part of that process. I am happy to concede that. But the idea that we should just make more pain is something that I'm really hesitant on conceding. I think the a solution might be found in the concept of justice, which unfortunately too many people on my side of the camp just reel at that word these days, which blows my mind. Because of all figures of justice, Jesus has got to be close to the top of the list. Um, okay. The <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to to issues of justice, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes there has to be has to be some 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 punishment involved, but it's not that you just want to see people hurt. It's I I don't know like. Just, just, just roll with me now. Like, like, put yourself in 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 the in the position of somebody. So, so your people group, whether it's black people, Jews, Palestinians, immigrants, whatever, your people group has been uh, systematically mistreated for generations. It's one thing to just say, "Well, hey, we could give all the racists this this uh, drug that that uh, Sam Harris invented, and then they just won't be racist anymore." Has justice occurred? Why right. is it necessary? Why, why, you're, uh, I don't know if I agree with the premise that just, justice is a desirable quality. Hmm. Like, I thought the point of justice was, like, for some 
it's a path towards um, reducing harm, right? I mean, we use justice as a tool to like cause people to, you know, we de de uh, incentivize people from doing bad things. It's just one means to an end, right? Hmm. I certainly, that's certainly part of it. Like, and it's like, I think that, like, I support the idea of reparations. Um, yeah, but what if, what if all the racists take Sam, Sam Harris's drug? Then they'll probably also support reparations, I assume. Yeah. At that point, yeah. <laughs> That's actually a really good answer, but. <laughs> I mean, there's still, there's still inequality as a result of the, you know, the harm that was done. So people should you know, want to work towards making things right. right again. But it seems like working towards equality wouldn't be the just causing pain for pain's sake. Right, we're doing it for a purpose of making things good for people who have suffered. Man, this is meaty. We should do a part two on this. Well, I, I, it's interesting because I hear you guys talking, and I'm almost hearing like this almost sounds like a little bit of sermon prep, because I'm hearing I, I'm, I'm I'm I've got a handful of verses that are going through my mind where Christ talks about you've heard. Um, yeah. Eye for an eye, you know, but I tell you, if, if your brother curses you even 70 times seven, you know, forgive him. Um, and then again, that the whole eye for an eye thing, even that was, I think we as, as modern Westerners have a hard time wrapping our minds around this. But in the ancient world, if I, you know, uh, attacked you to steal your sheep and you lost an arm, the natural just thing to do would be for you to come and kill my entire village as retribution. The whole concept of eye for an eye was a <laughs> limiting factor to try to limit retribution to, to uh, uh, equitable pain. And then so, Christ comes along and even ups the ante again and says, not even equitable pain. Don't, don't just forgive, move past, restore. You know, you don't need uh, full retribution and justice, just and then forgiveness and rest was, restoration. That idea was then further warped by some people to tell victims that they should just forgive the people that are abusing them, even if they don't stop, <laughs> which is, is a warped understanding of that view. I understand that's, that's no, not... but, but it's, it's a warped understanding of that view and it's one that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Uh, there are too many, too many people, whether they're, they're pastors or not, too many people will, will give that message. And that's not really how forgiveness works. You don't, no. especially if you are the one who is, who is causing the abuse or pain, even if you're not intending to be the one causing the abuse or pain. If you're part of a subculture that is causing the abuse and pain, it is not your position to tell those that are being abused, oh, you need to forgive me. That's, that's a, a total perversion of the concepts that we've right. been talking about. We can't I have lose sight of that end goal that the the goal needs to be harm reduction, um, mm -hmm. and that's not harm reduction. That's just uh, enabling harm. So and that when works people that goal. and when people harm others, I think that I think there should always be a path to restoration. But I think that that always needs to be coupled with the accountability to do the restoration. Like. Well, you know, when you, you screw make... up and when you screw up and hurt somebody, you're obligated. In in my understanding of justice, you are obligated 
to extend effort, you have a duty to correct for that hurt. Yeah, I, I agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. I think um, we need. I think we need to recapture the concept of of um, if you if 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 you make a mistake or if if any way you cause harm, then it is part of your duty to do your best, if possible, to make it right. And if, Even if, if you that costs you in your entire ministry. <laughs> yeah. Or, yep. or if, it, you know, it, yeah, if, if it costs you more. Or your political career. Right. Or wealth or whatever. One of, one of the, the only, the example that's coming to my mind, which is strange because Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but in the Bible, Joseph had an opportunity when Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was his boss, when Potiphar's wife kept trying to uh, commit adultery with Joseph, he was put in a position where he could just go ahead and, 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 and go with the flow and commit this sin against his God and his boss, uh, or he could escape the situation knowing that she would probably uh, punish him for it, and she did, and, and he ended up in prison because of it for doing the right thing. We need, at least as Christians, we need to recapture the idea that we need to do the right thing, even if it's painful, even if the, even if it's not pragmatic, even if it, even if it puts us personally in a position where we're, we could gain less by doing the right thing. We still need to do the right thing because it's the right thing. I don't think that should be limited to Christians. I think that's all of us. We're all. And I think that the one thing that we, that I want to stress here is that. We need a society that prioritizes this approach rather than any other alternative. Yeah. Society should make this the preferred choice rather than the hard one. I guess there there might be where where punishment would play a role in that you don't want to make it so easy that people could just it's like um uh in World War Two uh uh, uh, Germans would, as they were retreating, they would leave one guy behind in a uh, in a sniper's nest with a machine gun, and they would just fire until they ran out of bullets, and then immediately stand up with their hands up. And it got so bad that a lot of U.S. soldiers would just go ahead and shoot him before he could uh, um, uh, uh, surrender. Surrender. And and so we don't want to make retribution so easy that we're actually enabling people to do abuse because they'll know that all that they could just say they're sorry at some point and then they could start the game all over again. And I agree. The, yeah. There is a how that needs to be worked out. Because mm -hmm. if you're doing it in a way that actually ends up causing more harm, you're doing it wrong. They're not achieving that goal. Right. Final I thoughts? think that's a good place to put a pin in it. <laughs> Anybody? Yep. Um, final thoughts is I, I would like to see, I would, for, for my, uh, you know, going back to where we started, I think it is right for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries to distance themselves from Ravi at this point because he, of the way he treated his victim and the fact that he is, uh, that he, he effectively escaped any kind of, uh, punishment, even to the point of, of, uh, maintaining his reputation all the way to the end of his life. I think it's, it's probably right for them to distance themselves from the founder. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the punishment needs to happen in, in, in all cases. It, it's one of those things where it's got to be case by case. You've got to take into uh, consideration uh, what the harm has been done 
And in the case, like in the case of Ravi Zacharias, where the initial harm may not have even been that big of a deal, how you react to, 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 you know, or, or what, what, what do you do? What's your, your next steps? Uh, we need to take those things into consideration. Man, I can uh, really well. appreciate that. Say what? I can really appreciate that. Which part? It, the, the, the sin that Ravi committed and, and I'll it, just embrace you know, I'll take on for the sake of discussion, you know, that uh-huh. I just agree. Like, uh-huh. it was a sin. Ravi did it. Like, the transgression was much more minor than the transgression that followed. Right. Well, it's like if Nixon would have just came out and said, yeah, some of my guys did this and it was dumb because it was not only illegal, but I was going to, I was going to win this election in a landslide anyway. He wouldn't have been impeached. Not a chance. He, they probably wouldn't have had the votes. Exactly. He would have not been put in a position where he would have had to resign. If only he had right out of the gate just owned up to the to the to the uh, the, the the crime and, and the stupidity. It's one of the reasons why Donald Trump had to be impeached twice. Nobody stopped him the first time. <laughs> or technically the zeroth time, because in my opinion, he should have been impeached uh, for the uh, Mueller report. Yeah. yeah, I read the Mueller report, at least the parts that I'm legally allowed to read. I read the whole thing. He should have been impeached. Yeah, uh, I there's a YouTuber that I follow uh, that does a lot of political talking, and he's real edgy. He was kind of manipulative and creepy online with a girl in one of the communities that he was in, and when it when she accused him, looking back at it when it came out, totally owned up to all of it. And said he was being totally out of line, totally creepy, and people shouldn't do that. And he was, he totally owned it. And he came out a lot better for that, just owning up to it than he ever would have, just trying to deny it or, or say it didn't happen. Um, he's, he's still a fairly successful YouTuber. I, I, I think that that's, you know, for whatever the cost is, even if you do risk losing, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, um, that's just the more respectable way to go. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I, that does cause me to lose a lot of respect for people when they don't do it. But, uh, yeah. Um, anything final from you, JJ, or are we good? Yeah, I think we're good. I, I think I touched on all the topics that I want to touch on. All right. Weight loss update. I've now lost 74 pounds. Wow. So I could probably blow you over. <laughs> no, no, I'm still, I'm still in the upper two hundreds. I still got a ways to go. You're gaining on Congrats. it, though. No, you're losing on it. You're losing on <laughs> it. And, indeed, <laughs> it, you know, something. You know, less is more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody listening who wants to become a guest, um, analyzepodcast.com. Click on the become a guest link. Uh, reach out to us. Follow our Facebook page. You know all that stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.